Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of Maximum Octane. Today, my very special guest is Mr. Bruce Spencer. He is the owner and proprietor of Walt Eager's Service Center in Maryland. Hi, Bruce. How are you? Hi, Kim. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I love your story for many reasons. You have a very practical approach to business and really do everything with intent. You don't expend a lot of energy on things that are not important to your mission and vision. And what also makes you very unique is that you are not from this industry. So many people we talk to, they grew up in a shop, their parents had a shop, their mother or father, you know, their uncle had a shop. You come from a completely different world. So I'd love it if you could share your story with us first. I do. I do come from a different world, but let me start off by saying that I have the utmost respect for, you know, those individuals who have been technicians or mechanics and have built a business. You know, when you're a small business and you bring in yet a second or even a third generation to be able to fund multiple families and income levels within a small business is incredible. So I have the utmost respect for the shop owners who have done that over multiple generations. Uh, To your point, my story is a little bit different in that, you know, I had an opportunity to buy this business from Walt Eager, the man, the legend, right? And so he is renowned within our industry and certainly within ATI. And, you know, to come in and to really try not to mess it up, frankly. My background <laughs> was was from a corporate background. I was looking for a business and, and I had shared with you in a, in a prior discussion that when I bought this place, I wasn't living a lifelong dream. I was really playing some defense as it related to my family was not going to relocate again for another corporate role. So everybody has a story. And I've got three sons. They were in pivotal spots within their schooling. And all my family is in Maryland. We were not going to relocate again. So my wife really is the one who came up with the idea that said, look, I know that it's hard for you to find an equal corporate opportunity here locally. Um, So you're going to have to get creative. And so I began to look for businesses that might fit uh, my lifestyle and and the things that I didn't want to own. I knew what that shortlist was. I didn't want to own a liquor store. I didn't want to own, you know, in, in my world, a gas station per se or a restaurant. And I really didn't know anything about auto repair. But Walt's business was for sale. It was at a fairly premium price and it was intriguing. So once I looked at it, it was, you know, Walt was in his uh, transition process following the succession planning from ATI. And 
he basically had been living that succession plan. So he was spending a fair amount of time down in Tennessee where he has since retired. And he had people here who were great, who were running the shop. He had a fair amount of processes in place. So it told me that I could come in and have a reasonable learning curve to understand the business and the industry without imploding or being in a panic on day one. So it had a lot of opportunity. Uh, the shop itself is a large shop. And after owning it for five and a half years now, I can tell you that every day it's still pretty humbling because I had a lot of assumptions coming in that I thought we would just knock it out of the park. And the fact of the matter is it's a tough business. It's very good and it's going to be here for a long time for us independents. But at the same time, it's uh, it's a tough business and you can grow this place one car at a time. And getting those vehicles here, we're not on a main stretch of any kind. So you have to find us and we have to market for that. But I love what we're doing. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit more as it gets to talking about strategy and, and the, my thoughts on that. But ultimately, having the ATI coaching backdrop was a godsend when I bought the business. So anyway, glad to be here with you today, Kim, and happy to be in our industry. And I think we've got a huge upside if we do things well. I have so many questions rolling through my head. So if I interrupt you right now, I just, you know me and I get very excited. So two things that you just mentioned, I want to make sure that our listeners heard. One of the things that attracted you to this business was that it was basically, I'm going to use the word turnkey, meaning there was processes in place. The owner was not working in the business. So you didn't have to come in and fill the previous owner's role as far as working on cars or selling service or jockeying cars around the parking lot and all of that. It was a model that was built to withstand a transfer of ownership, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, as I've watched ATI and, and utilizing the succession planning, to be very candid, you know, it's not like banks love our business. If you've no, got some don't. real estate that you own <laughs> and you're willing to, you know, convey that, banks might have an interest. But when, for me, Walt's still my landlord, he owns the property, getting banks to sign off on, hey, yes, it's a cash flow business, but the banks need an asset that they can grab a hold of if something doesn't go well. And we don't offer that for the most part. We offer a great customer base and a, and a cash flow. And so for us, um, having an established business here, I actually had reached out to a couple of banker friends that I had. They didn't have an interest in helping me, but Walt had a relationship with his bank, which is M&T Bank here. And I reached out to them at the suggestion of our broker. And so having everything to your point of in place, um, processes in place, you know, a lot of times we as business owners, we love our baby, right? And we want to get a premium for it. But I bought this from Walt, candidly, probably at a premium for what our industry norms would be in an acquisition. But to your point, it was running itself. And you don't have a long line of people, whether it's a technician who has the wherewithal or financially or the desire to actually be a business owner. Some might say it on a Tuesday and by Friday, they've rethought that and said, <laughs> what was I thinking? So, you know, there's not a long list of people who are lined up to buy our businesses. And so it's that important that you can attract somebody from outside the industry like Walt did with me and educate them on this is a great business. And by the way, if done well, 
you can enjoy the benefits of it without actually having to know how to fix a car or sell the services or whatever. And for me coming in and, and as I said before, trying not to mess up the deal and what Walt had built, I had to get connected with customers. So I spent the first few and, and really still today, I do a fair amount of it is driving the shuttle. I'm stepping back from that now as we've grown and matured as a business, but there really was no better way for me to get to know the customer base than to drive our shuttle and have conversations that didn't take away from their day or their time. And so that's worked well, but it's time to really grow the business and to step back a little bit and work on some of the more important things strategically. I think an easy thing to pick on would be to ask you what disadvantages you have coming in from the outside. And I don't want to do that because I believe there's many advantages. Oh, no, to- I'm happy to share. Happy to share. Okay. Bottom line is this. Look, I'm, I'm never going to be a technician or a mechanic. I don't speak the language. For me, even though I think I can communicate fairly well, it, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to be a technician. And so for me to try to bring in the things that I had. So for instance, I tried early on to educate people on lean process and, and everything else that I brought from a prior life. And, you know, crickets. I mean, literally <laughs> me doing all the talking and them looking at me like I had horns, like I didn't know the business. But the bottom line is time is money in our business. And anytime you can identify the wasteful things in your supply chain or in your process, it's an opportunity to improve and to make more money as long as you can get the car count there. So all those things that I, that I have some knowledge about, it doesn't matter because I'm never going to be a technician. And while you might respect me as a business person or as a human being or as even a leader, after five years, I finally convinced myself I, I'm not the person to be able to run this place. And with the help of ATI, um, I'm not here to do a promotion for you guys, but I'm just giving you the reality. We got to a financial point where I could afford to put in a COO and to follow the new program. And I think if I look at it from the outside in, you know, succession planning and, and being able to hand the business off or find an acquirer is a good thought at some level for some people. But actually just building yourself a business that is sustainable and can run itself you know, most of us and myself included, I don't want to give up the benefits of owning a small business ever, right? So why don't you just build something that I, I don't want to make it lightly, take it lightly, but you kind of want to build yourself an ATM, right? Something that has the right people, the right leadership in it. I can be strategic with them, but really have an operations person come in and we've hired Rob Sisney, who's doing a great job. He's been with us for about 10 weeks. We've had two incredible months, even though it's not seasonally there for us yet. And I couldn't be more excited because it's like a whole weight's been lifted off of my shoulders on the things that I was killing myself on. That candidly, I just didn't have a means to put in play and get done properly. And he does. So it's great to have him. What are some of the advantages do you think that you have running this business now coming from outside of the industry? Well, I mean, I've, I ran sales organizations for my whole career and then Honeywell acquired our company and I ended up being a general manager for them running uh, all the PPE business for the Americas. And so I've had a lot of P&L responsibility. I've had uh, a lot of sales responsibility. Candidly, my style is more to sell people and try to build the why we want to do things versus tell. And 
I probably erred to the side of trying to sell things more so because not only am I not respected from a communication at a technician level, selling sometimes you just beat your head against the wall when sometimes you do just have to tell people, look, this is what we're going to do. And I'll build in my why and all the value once I prove it to you on the other side. And my personality is not one to just go out and say, do it because I said so. <laughs> um, it's just, and, and really what happens is, is the owner, you end up taking all that stress on yourself because you're trying so hard to communicate a message that's not necessarily being bought into. But I'll give you an example. Digital inspections have, have become phenomenal for us. And we not only do them well, but we do them consistently. And the sell in that is, guess what? They work and customers love them and the techs now love them. And it took me forever to get the buy-in to really understand the value. But the math is behind it because of our ARO improvement and otherwise. So I probably went on a tangent there on you for a little bit. My apologies. Oh, no, that's this is all here to pick your brain and help other shop owners in any way. And it's all great information. Okay. Well, again, I, I, I think my goal is to really not ever exit the business. You know, everybody wants to have some level of a legacy. I love what we're doing. I think really for us, as much as we have new technologies coming our way, uh, we've got this back and forth that's always been there with the dealers and, and trying to fight for the right to repair all of those things. You know, we've got EVs coming at us. Uh, we've got mobile footprints being built by many of the big companies. And so we're having to figure out, you know, how are we going to get there? But if you're a, I, I guess, if you don't have any level of scale, meaning you've got a four-bay shop that you're just trying to figure out to make payroll every week, you've got to kind of turn yourself on edge and figure out how you're going to grow. Because to keep up, if you don't have scalability, I just don't know that you're going to have the, fair, you know, the financial wherewithal to really keep up with the technology that's coming our way. And I think that's going to be problematic for you as a shop owner longer term. So there's an old adage that if you're not growing, you're dying. And I think we all as shop owners have to take that on our own plate and really commit to growth and doing the right things. And it doesn't mean you have to be all things to everybody, but you better find a niche and a lane that you can try to own through your own marketing techniques and, and word of mouth and other things. Now we'll talk about that as, as one of the things I'd said that I wanted to talk about, you know, strategically is deciding what you want to work on and what you don't want to work on can be equally as important. And then having the discipline to not work on those things. So the discipline is tough because many times, especially if it's a slow week or car count is not where people were hoping or wanting, they tend to, in a state of panic, take in vehicles that they know that they don't want to, that they know they shouldn't. And things start going sideways. And the first thing out of their mouth is, I knew we shouldn't have taken in that car. I right. knew we shouldn't have done it. And it's like, why then why did you do it? Every All the indicators said, don't do it. So how do you have that discipline? It, it's tough to turn things away when you want to have money coming in, right? Absolutely. And for us, I've, and Walt had the same model and I've, I've piggybacked it, which is, you know, don't go out and advertise a $19 oil change and then have a car come in and then try to upsell like crazy. Yeah, that's a model in our industry, but that model gives us all a potentially bad name if done poorly. We already have the perception when a customer walks through the door that 
we're going to be at some level for a new customer making an effort to take their money, right? And so if they've come as a referral, hopefully we've got a nice bridge built for us that way. But if it's a brand new customer and you get them in here on a $19 oil change, it just doesn't make any sense that you begin the relationship by trying to stick them with things. Now, the digital inspection certainly helps with that. But for the most part, if I get you here on price, I probably will lose you and I haven't sold my value. So just loading the bays with false pretense is just a bad strategy in my mind. And I'm learning a lot. I've spent a lot of time and a hell of a lot of money on trying to acquire new customers. And it's an expensive model. And just yesterday in our CEO group, I had good inputs from folks and really trying to cultivate the business that we already have within our walls to go back out, recultivate, you know, uh, declined work. And so I'm, I'm learning. I'm going to meet with Rob, our COO here, uh, after we get off this uh, podcast. So, you know, there's just so much learning. I just think it's a bet. It, we, we have a set of values here that we go by and we live by them and we use them both internally and externally. So we use them for all tiebreakers. Tie it's a simple acronym TRICE that I brought with me and I, and I, basically customized it to the auto repair industry. Trust, respect, tensions, communication, empathy. And so I won't go into all the details of them. If anybody cared to just take a peek at the website, it's waltheager.com. They, you know, they could take a look at it. Our about us is basically me in a video explaining our values of trice. So if you build your house on values, the whole concept of bringing somebody in here on a, on a low ball deal and then trying to upsell them doesn't align with our values. And from our technician to our maintenance person to everybody, they absolutely get that. And we're all on the same page. And when you're internally on the same page, that conveys very well to your customer base. And so you're you know, somewhat symbiotic that you get together with your customers and that everybody's on the same page. And where that shows up is when you receive reviews from customers and they talk about all the things you're trying to do. And then you get to go back to your internal employee base and say, look, let me show you why it's so important that we live the way we say we're going to live. Because not only do customers notice it, they can actually articulate all of this back to us in a review. And when they do, it's magic. So do you feel like a rock star when people are singing this song back to you? They, you always hear singers on stage say it's such an incredible feeling to have a packed stadium repeating your words and, and, and back to you and singing along. Do you have that kind of feeling? It's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. And it's, and it comes down to taking those reviews. I'll print them off and we'll distribute them and we'll just beat it in again. This is why we do what we do. And yeah, it's, it's kind of like, all right, everybody hold up. Well, it used to be lighters, you know, I'm old enough to hold up lighters, but now (laughs) we're holding up cell phones and, you know, yeah, play the next song. And, uh, no, it, it does feel good. And, and managing the reviews actively, uh, even a bad review is a good thing. You know, it's hard to accept it when you're in the moment, but, you know, how you reply to that review, you know, everybody's been coached on this, but how you reply to that review, don't take it personally, take it as an opportunity to speak to everybody else who might read that. And you know what, if you did mess up, just say so, you know, people are actually in, in somewhat of a, as negative as people can be today, if they sit down and step back from it, the way you reply to that negative review can just be a godsend. We have customers come in somewhat frequently that say, hey, I'm not here because of your good reviews. I'm here because of the way you replied to your negative reviews. You did, you took ownership of it or you explained the situation and 
it made me think that's a place I could do business with. That's fantastic. Fantastic. So one of the other things I think that lends itself to part of your success, and I imagine in the corporate world, as well as as an independent shop owner, is the way you can differentiate things that you should not be doing versus things you should be doing. So many people focus on, here's what I have to do today and tomorrow. And there's so many systems of before you leave, write a list of six things you want to do tomorrow and or for the week or all, all kinds of different systems for it. But you also do that with the things that you will not be doing. And, and you're very clear about those items. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's very refreshing actually to, to acknowledge the things that you're not going to do. So most of us have, let's just, just pick a number, uh, a list of 10 things strategically that we'd like to get accomplished. And that'll be different for various shops. But when you step back from it, you know darn well when you write down the 10 things that are pretty good sized projects or things that you want to do, you can either have financial limitations on that, you could have resource limitations on that, but you really only have the resources and the time and the money that you have. So prioritize your top five. So in this exercise, we're going to pick five things. We're going to decide and we're going to allocate resources to them. And then we're going to acknowledge the other five things that we're choosing not to do right now. So as we know in our daily lives, those five that you decide you're not going to do, if they're not written down, they'll find you on a daily basis <laughs> and you'll spend your time because guess what? Somebody came in and asked you a question about one of them. If you as a team have written them down and talked about deciding not to do them, when they rear their head in your daily life, you can reflect and say, remember, we said we were not going to do that because we don't have the time, the resources, the money to do them right now. Doesn't mean we won't ever do them. It just means right now we've prioritized based on the, the amount of time that we have. So having the five things you're not going to do, but that could be important at a point in time written down and acknowledging and putting them on the shelf is one of the most refreshing things you can do then it takes the discipline not to do it. So don't get distracted. Don't, don't buy in or make sure that your team understands that they have the right to say to the other person who wants to drag them into their idea. Because listen, everybody has pet projects, right? So the fact that we as a team decided we weren't going to do one of those five doesn't mean that somebody out in your shop isn't still in love with one of those five. Right. And they're going to work behind the curtain to try to get some momentum for that, right? Whatever their pet project is. Yeah, I keep saying this. Well, guess what? We all said it and we said we weren't going to do it. So we might get to it. Don't get your feelings hurt, you know, but that's where we are today. We're not doing that. But then, you know, I'll give you an example. The, the new AC machines of the Y1234, we had consciously said we weren't going to get into that until it was the right timing. And now is the right timing. You know, we're X number of years downstream from the dealerships. We need to have the machine. I'm sure many shops have bought them and enjoyed the success with them, you know, but we just made the choice a week and a half ago to get a machine and we're getting trained on it on Monday. And now we're going to go. Now we're going to be in that business too. And we've always been in the AC uh, business, but we just chose not to yet. So that was something we tabled based on timing, resources, whatever. And that's a very small example. I mean, that's not something that strategic, but it is an example of something that you decide not to do for a while and then you revisit and now it's the right time. So you do it. I think it's so important that you're very clear about that and transparent because what happens a lot in all businesses 
is when a shop owner or leadership in the shop says, oh, well, we'll, we'll look into that or not today, but we'll get into it soon. And then it doesn't come up again or action isn't taking. And then the employees feel like you're just ignoring them or forgot. And when you make a clear distinction that, yes, I heard you, we're going to table this. We'll relook at this in six months or a year or whatever it is. Then there's a very clear communication and they don't feel like they were ignored or you forgot about it, or you don't think it's important. And so I love that you do that. Another thing that I think is probably another key to your success is you are very transparent and open about, you call them weaknesses, because we're from the world when you could say weakness. Now that's not a lot allowed anymore, but we're, you're (laughs) opportunities. I mean, you're very, you're very upfront with, Hey, this is my strengths. I know my strengths and here's my weaknesses. And so you surround yourself with people that fill that gap. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, one thing is, is having so many different corporate roles, you know, a lot of the HR folks find you from time to time and you put in these different personality analysis and profiles and tools and, um, fairly self-aware because I've been, my weaknesses and opportunities have been pointed out to me many times over the years. So, <laughs> and you're I know, married, so you probably you know, get, get help. More. I get help. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you ever need help, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. <laughs> but for me, it's, it really comes down to two, two things that are almost comical, but they're death for me here at the business, which is I, to make a decision, I'm not a quick decision maker. I need data. I need, as a personality, I'm used to getting data. Uh, As much as I ran sales organizations, I'm a finance guy at heart. So I need the data. Well, what don't you ever get in a shop when a technician has an idea? The data behind why we should be doing something. And they'll tell you, I just know we need to do it. And so when you couple the fact that I need data, I don't get, I'm not from the industry. And by personality, I'm slow to make decisions. I drove people out here crazy. So I had to find an utilization of yet another personality tool. We're using the PXT tool now within uh, ATI, uh, within our group. Not only understanding myself, I took the PXT tool. So it didn't tell me anything that I didn't already know, which was fine, but it did get it in a nice format. Then I have my COO that we hired take the exact same tool. And not only complementing you know, his skill set, quicker decision-making, industry experience and a willingness to take action more quickly than I would based on those things. He's a great compliment to me. So the things that I would sit here and look at the ceiling tile while I'm trying to make a decision and being frustrated because I didn't have data, I'm much more comfortable. And, and the things that we've done, we've taken on a new POS system, a new marketing tool, and I won't sit here and build brands and things like that for others. It's not a selling job here. But we've taken on two new tools in the first 10 weeks of him being here by way of the ATI Super Conference. We went away together, spent time, and he's picking me up in all the things that I have gaps and weaknesses or just personality tendencies that are problematic for moving the business ahead. He's the person who's going to do that for us, and he's going to do it operationally. And now I need to basically come back and look at, okay, resources. I love to buy another shop. But- I've got to wait till we have the financial wherewithal. We have to have the right strategic ideas behind doing it. And from my perspective, it's refreshing because I can step back and let him run this place now. 
And we had two stellar weeks before this. But to your point, come in this week, car counts down post Mother's Day for whatever reason, weather's not great. And there are just so many tools that we haven't utilized. And I've been here for five years. So shame on me for not doing a better job of finding them. And now in our meeting after this to execute on exactly what we should be doing and improving the playbook on how we go about getting cars in here and the right cars, not just to get cars, but the right cars. And uh, I don't know, I hope you can see it in my voice or hear it in my voice that I'm all pumped up. I mean, I got a whole new life um, as it relates to freedom to do the things I should have been doing all along and playing to my strengths and getting out of my own way, which is what's really needed to happen. I, I know that we've been on for probably a little longer than we had scheduled for today. And I would love for you to come back because there are so many things I want to ask you about. But in closing, it's a very difficult thing to kind of check your ego out the door and say, listen, I cannot be the smartest guy in the room all the time. I, I can't be all things to all people. I need to get out of the way and bring other people in to help support that. What advice do you have for, for people to let them, again, check their ego at the door? How do they do that? Well, once you acknowledge that a COO role can really take your business to another level and allow you as the owner to step back and do the things you know you should be doing, just be very conscious of the fact when you bring that COO in, um, you've built your business in most cases in our industry, you have to step back. You have to make that change. You have to be conscious about what you're doing. And for me, it wasn't hard because I didn't build the business as it relates to being a technician and, and working in the shop. So I never added value there. So for me to step back, it's been much easier. But you as a person who has built your business, maybe it's multi-generation, be really candid with yourself about the fact that as much as it's your baby, your baby can improve and you can have help to build it. You've got to hire the right personality. You've got to make sure you've got respect for each other. You've got to make sure that they're as engaged as you are. Certainly don't be cheap about it. I mean, get the right person and pay them to do it. And generally, look, let's be candid. Our margins in our industry are good enough that if done well, you can afford that person in most cases. But be consciously step back and let them do the job you hire them to do. But define that role very well for them. And then again, like we say, we're not going to do certain things strategically. Make sure that you're holding them accountable to the job description that you both agree on, but get out of their way, let them do the job, and then get back into a coaching role. Observe, don't pinpoint everything. Employees come to you, direct them to your new you know, leader, if you will. And uh, that part's been easy for me because they weren't coming to me for great insight anyway. They didn't trust my <laughs> insight. So um, sorry to ramble on you, but I think, you know, hire the right people. Make sure you have good processes, define the roles, and then get out of the way and let them do their job. Because job satisfaction, as most of us know, is not just about the wage. They'll tell you it is, but it's not. It's really about sometimes coaching, pat on the back, and, and people feeling good about the effort they're making. Um, we won't go into a long deal on that, but that's when people feel the best is when they're accountable and performing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and your insights with us. And Let's get together for part two soon because there's so many more questions that I want to ask. And I know you have a lot of other great information. So thanks well, for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully in some small way, it helps somebody somewhere. And um, glad to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you. All right, everybody. See you next week. Stay safe, make good choices and stay inspired. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can. 